Thank you for that. Great song. I needed to sing that song today. <laughs> uh, we haven't sung it for a while, have we? It's a, uh, maybe we have and I missed it, but that's just tremendous to be reminded of those key truths, to be able to declare them with, to, to one another and in worship and praise to the Lord. That was just brilliant. So let's um, look at God's Word together. We're in the book of John, chapter 15, and that's on page 1083. If you're looking at a Bible nearby, uh, that's where you'll find it, page 1083. And uh, if you've been here for a few weeks or been with us in the last week or two, you may remember that we are uh, in the, this passage uh, from John 13 through to John 17. Uh, we're with Jesus and his disciples. They're together. They've had dinner. It's the night before the cross. Uh, it's uh, a really key point in, in their journey and indeed, uh, as we shall see in, in Jesus, in, in what he's come, in, come to do. And he's been briefing them for the next phase of their lives. Uh, he's going away, he says. He's going to the Father, but he's going, that journey is to the Father by way of the cross. He's going to be glorified. That means he's going to be seen to be God's king, God's triumphant one. And the disciples are told, as we saw, that they can trust him. They can trust their lives to him. They can trust him for the journey he's making. They can trust him for the journey they're taking as well with him. He's going to be with them. They can know God in their lives. The Holy Spirit is going to bring God, God's presence into their lives as God comes and lives in them, as we saw earlier on in, in, in these kind of chapters. They will love God. They will know God in a new way. They will know how much God loves them. And they will love one another. And last week we heard from John 15 about how these followers, how the, and that's us too, because we're kind of sitting kind of on the back of, of where they are, aren't we, as we've seen, that we can be fruitful as his followers, as we're connected to him. Remember, we had the light, light bulb up there, and you know, it needed to be plugged in to be a light and functional and fruitful. And we saw as well that we're so special to Jesus. He's loved us in an amazing way. And we can ask the Father for anything as we pray. We can overflow in love one for another. That's where we got to. And it's been quite an amazing kind of a journey so far. All this talk, especially last week, of love and, and, and God's presence with us and how wonderful it all is. And, and it's all about loving one another. And then we come to verse 18. Let's look at verse 18 and verse 19. So lots of talk. You remember last week all about how God's loved us and so on and so on and how we can love one another. Well, verse 18, it says, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Whoop! Where's that come from? Jesus has been talking about love and now... Actually, the word hate is uh, mentioned four times, three times in the NIV, and actually there's another one in the original. He said, you know, in in the NIV, it says, it hated me first. It says, it hated me, and it hates you as well. It's kind of, it's two. Massive impact. That's a bit of a surprise, isn't it? A bit of a shock. I thought you were talking about love, Jesus. (laughs) I thought following you was all going to be about love. 
Well, Jesus says, well, actually, um, no, it's not going to be easy, easy. Rather, He starts to talk to the disciples about the world. He says, you're living in this world, the world, he says. And John, in his writings, in John's gospel and in the letters that he wrote, picks up on this a lot as he remembers Jesus' teaching. And when John, in his gospel and his letters, uh, refer to the world, he, he has this, it, it basically means, you're not the, the planet, it, it means the kind of organized world of people. Of people living in societies. You know, people clump together, don't they? That's what we're like as human beings. It's like the whole network of humanity is what John calls the world. And and John, and and although here it's going to be quite tough, he says the world hates you. Uh, John, uh, certainly as he uh, recalls what Jesus says, doesn't hate the world in that sense. He says God loves the world. John 3.16, the most famous uh, verse in the Bible. God loved the world so much. This world, this, this world of organized human network, this kind of world of people, this is the world God loves. This is the world God says he, he, he loves and he's not going to condemn. He doesn't want to condemn, rather. Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. If the world's going to be condemned, it's not, as it were, Jesus' fault. He's done everything to make that different. And it's the world God, uh, Jesus came into. And the world, says John, says Jesus here rather, as John recalls it, can be hostile to Jesus' followers. That's the first big point here. The world can be hostile. Let's read on. And what I want you to do is a little kind of, um, imagine we're in a small group or something. There's a lot of us. It's not really a small group, is it? Anyway, imagine that. And as we read it through, um, look out for all the times Jesus says it's going to be tough, okay? And take a kind of mental note of them. Don't, you know, draw in the Bibles because we want to use them again. But uh, obviously you want to draw in your own Bible, that's up to you. But anyway, verse 18. We'll start again. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. And they will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my father." But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. When the advocate comes, whom I will send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. Do you notice those things? Anyone spot any? 
But we've had the thing about hate. You know, they'll hate you. Might, you might be hated. That's one thing. Anyone notice anything else? Go and shout it out. Go on, people. Persecute. Yeah. He says that they persecuted me. They might persecute you as well. Yeah. Anything else? Anyone else notice anything? Yeah. He said actually there might be some people who think that they're doing God's will by killing you. And there was one other thing at least. Yeah, you might be chucked out of the synagogue. And remember, for the Jewish person, you know, being thrown out of the synagogue isn't like being banned from coming to church. You know, some people might be glad to be banned from coming to church. No, it was like being kind of being ostracized from their community. It's going to be quite tough, says Jesus, or it could be quite tough. I don't know whether you ever watched the young ones when you were younger. You know, you remember that character Neil? He used to go, "That's heavy," you know. <laughs> and this is kind of, ooh, it's 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 heavy. But stick with it. It We're going somewhere. It's not completely heavy. But this is what Jesus says. So why are Jesus' followers likely or possibly to be hated? Well, he says this clearly, isn't he? He says it's because we're identified with Jesus. We're linked to him. Verse 19 says, have a look at that. You don't belong. He's changed the way we relate to the world. Verse 19, it says, If you belong to this world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. We don't belong. If we belonged, it would be fine. But we don't. Because Jesus then goes on to say, I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Now, when he says about chosen out of the world, this isn't about kind of, Selection, one person and another. And it's, he's, Jesus isn't saying, you know, no, they, they hate you because I've chosen you and not that person. That, that's not this idea of choice here, or actually mostly in the Bible in my view. It's not about that one person is chosen but the other person is not. It's about that the people who do love Jesus are in this special relationship with him. It's about their status. It's about what it's like to be loved by Jesus, not the reason they love him. We love him, we respond to him, we know him, we hear the good news, we become believers and we suddenly realize that he loves us. We're in this special kind of relationship. And because of that, we no longer quite belong to the world in the same way that we did before. And that's not easy. That's what Jesus is saying. So Jesus tells us that it's because of this, what happened to Jesus could happen to us. Verse 21. They will treat you this way because of my name. Or actually because of me. That's what he's saying. And he said they treated me like that. They could treat you like that too. Now I wonder, does that explain some of your experiences? Or some of the experiences that we know Christians face in different parts of the world? Not all of your experiences or my experiences all of the time. but, But maybe we've discovered that loyalty to Jesus... When that means we don't go the way everyone else does, that can be difficult. People don't like it. Because we know, as we said, people live, people love, people flourish, people exist in groups usually. That's how we are. So when we go by a different set of values, it can be costly, can't it? Maybe you've experienced that. Sometimes it can be institutionalized. In some countries it is. I remember chatting to some some international students a little while ago. 
and they were from China, and they were talking about the fact that it can be very difficult to stay a member of the Communist Party, and that means a big, a lot. It's a great privilege in China if you're a committed follower of Jesus. The two things don't sit very well together. And so, chatting to these these guys a few years back, the question of whether they follow Jesus or not was a pretty big question because one of them was a member of the party. But there are other ways, much more subtle ways in our culture where we can face the same things. So why do people hate Jesus? Well, verse 21 tells us. It says they they hate my father. It says they don't acknowledge him as God's sent one. They will treat you this way, verse 21, because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. On the whole, the world, people who don't know Jesus, don't acknowledge him as his, the one that God sent. And as Jesus is talking to the disciples, he's talking into a context where he was there. He was doing the works of God. He was speaking the words of God. It says that in verse 22 and in verse 24. Jesus says people had seen him and they'd heard what he said, but, but they'd actually said no to that. And Jesus said they kind of shut the door on his father. They've shut the door on him, and he kind of uses a hyperbolic uh, kind of, you know, uh, kind of extreme language. He said, "They might as well have hated me, because they don't want to know." Now that's a tough analysis, isn't it? In that people can see the truth, they can realize the truth, but they can still say no, and that can be really tough. Maybe some of you guys at events week, you know, it's been tough with, I know it's been a great time, but you know, there are some people who, who've seen it and are interested, others who've seen it and just said, actually, oh, I don't want that. That can be hard. Why are we like that? Why does that happen? Well, because perhaps we just don't want God messing with our lives, do we? We don't want to share control of our lives with him. Do you know the most popular piece of music? You know at crematoriums, or should it be crematoria, I suppose. Is that right? Uh, anyway, where they cremate people who are dead, obviously, and remember them and, and celebrate their lives and so on. Um, they play music, don't they? You remember the music as the coffin goes often. Do you know, according to the co-op funeral service, in 2016... What was the most popular track played at the moment the curtain shut or the coffin went down? Anyone guess? My way. You knew where I was, where I was going with that, didn't you? Yeah. Interesting. The most popular track. My way. I did it my way. That's why often people walk away. I'd rather go my way than God's way. And maybe you recognize that in your life too. So seeing that happening around us can be hard, especially when we see it in those we love. It's hard to bear when the surrounding world wants us to go its way or starts forcing us to go its way. Well, that can literally hurt. Ask a brother or sister whose village ISIS came into. 
for example. But Jesus says it's how it is. It's not for everyone. It's not all the time. But that's the way the river is flowing. And that's what Jesus is preparing the disciples. So for us, well, let's not be surprised by that. You see, Jesus is briefing his disciples. And we're in the same place. He's helping them and us know how we're going to live in this world that can be hostile. Which can flow in the other direction to the way we want to swim. Or we know that Jesus wants us to swim. Or the way we're like, we're swimming after Jesus. You know what I'm trying to say. And he's telling them, look, to get real about that. It's part of what following Jesus can mean. But he's also telling us something else as well. He's saying, be real in another sense. Be real or be aware of the reality that God is not caught by surprise in this. Look at verse 25. Jesus says, to, but this is to fill what is written in their law They hated me without reason. And he's a reference to Psalm 69. And Jesus is kind of saying, yes, it is tough, but God knows about it. It's not kind of, it's not caught, caught him kind of not knowing what to do kind of thing. And there's more of that kind of reassurance in this passage In verse 1 of chapter 16, he says, I'm telling you this so that you won't fall away. See, I've told you this so that you will not fall away. He said, even though they might put you out of the synagogue, even though some of you might have your lives threatened, you're not going to fall away. I've got you, says Jesus. And you might think, I don't know how that can happen, but until it happens, you don't kind of know that, do you? Again, ask a brother or sister who has known extreme difficulty or persecution. They know God has them. They're in God's hands. Verse 4 says a similar thing. I I have told you this so that when the time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. So don't be overwhelmed, says Jesus to the disciples. And he says the same to us. Even and, And we have it pretty easy here in our culture, don't we, really? But there are still times when the river's flowing very strongly in the other direction. And Jesus says to us and to his disciples, don't be overwhelmed. But hey, you might be thinking, it's all very well not to be overwhelmed, but how can we be fruitful and thrive in this hostile world? How can we not be overwhelmed? Well, let's see what else Jesus says and uh, see how Jesus can, can help us. So we're kind of through the heavy bit now. So let's have a look at how, how can the disciples get the help that they need to thrive in this world. Let's read. We just want to pick it up from chapter 15, verse 26. And then, uh, so verse 26. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who comes out from the Father, he will testify about me, and you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. And then go to the second half of verse 4, because I've already covered the first half. So 
we'll go uh, for the second half. It says, I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me. None of you ask me where are you going. Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to my Father, to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. So how do we live in this hostile world? Well, Jesus' answer is this. The Holy Spirit is our helper in the world. You see, in verses 4 to 7, Jesus is back reminding them of this journey he's embarking. He says, I'm going. He says, he reminds them of this again. But it's not, you know, as we saw before, it's not he's saying, I'm going and, oh, that's the end of it. He said, I'm going, I'm going somewhere. I'm doing something. My journey is going to involve the cross, the resurrection, and the coronation, or, or the ascension, as we call it. His, his going is part of all that he's doing uh, in order to, to bring God's salvation into, into the world, into people's experiences. Now, he does say this rather odd thing. He says, none of you ask where... Well, that is a bit odd because they did ask where a couple of chapters before. And, you know, scholars have argued about what this means and why that's that. But, I mean, I I can imagine maybe they're just in shock. I mean, if I I was them, if I'd just been told, uh, you might be killed. You know, people might kill you because they're, they're doing God a favor and you'll be thrown out of your community. I might be a little bit, you know, my questions might have dried up at that point. So maybe it's something like that that's happening. Or it's just that Jesus is, is wanting to, to go back to the fact that he's going away. He's going to the cross and the resurrection and, and to the ascension. That he wants to get back on that original kind of track. But the thing is, he says that you're really upset. And that's not surprising, is it, from the, what they've just heard. And he promises to send the advocate. That's hard to translate. It means the kind of special helper. The word has the idea of someone who comes alongside. Some translations um, uh, translate it counselor or comforter. Comforter in the sense of strength. The old English word comfort means to bring strength. Not necessarily there, there, you know, it's all right. It's kind of get your act together, be strong kind of comfort. Um, some of you, I know, sorry, I know Barry, I know Barry, you have a support worker, and others maybe in the church know that, like a support worker, someone who is by our side and on our side. That word advocate, the Greek word is paraclete, if you're interested, and it's very hard to translate because it, it means lots of those things, but it's not quite possible to capture it in one English word. But you get the idea, this helper. I'm going to send him to you. And Jesus says, if I go, then I will send him to you. In fact, Jesus says, I have to go in order to send him. Now, that doesn't mean, when he says, I've got to go so I can send him, that doesn't mean that there's only room for one person, one person in the Trinity involved in a believer's life at once. That's not what he means. He's not saying, well, I've got to go to make room for the Holy Spirit to come. No, he's saying, if I go, where's he going? What's the journey? The cross? The resurrection, the ascension. He said, because of all that that I'm going to do, then the Holy Spirit can come. 
Because that's what happens, isn't it? The life of God, the life of the age to come, floods into the church by the Holy Spirit because Jesus completes his journey for us. Jesus does all of that. He dies on the cross. He's raised from the dead. He's the ascended king. And from there, he pours out the life of God, the Holy Spirit, into our hearts individually, as we shall see in a minute, but also into the whole of of the Christian community. We see it happening in Acts 2, uh, as he promised. And Jesus tells us in uh, in chapter uh, 15, verse 26, what does he tell us? When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, he will testify about me. And you will testify about me. Jesus tells the disciples two things. He says the advocate, the Holy Spirit, will testify, and so will the disciples. We're to live in the world as witnesses to Jesus. More of that in chapter 17. But the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is witnessing too. In fact, he's there first. Now, I find that really encouraging. Before I open my mouth or do a blind thing, the Holy Spirit is in the world testifying about Jesus. That's how it was in Acts 2. Remember the story? Holy Spirit comes. Peter has to explain What's happened? Who initiated it? The Holy Spirit did. In fact, Jesus specifically told the disciples, wait for the Holy Spirit to start the testifying. And then you're on the back of that. Does that change the way you might see sharing your faith with people? Does it help to know that God, the Holy Spirit, is actually testifying? And that when we open our mouths or live our lives We're in the flow. We're just on the coattails of the Holy Spirit, so to speak. I find that encouraging. Don't know about you. I find that encouraging. And what's that's what verse eight is all about. It's how the Holy Spirit is working in the world. If you look at verse eight. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment and and so on. He proves the world to be wrong about three things. About sin. He says they're wrong about sin. The world is wrong about sin. Because he says people need to believe in Jesus to be forgiven from sin. There's only one way we can be clean before God. Only one way. It's because Jesus has gone to the Father by the cross, the resurrection, and the ascension. All that Jesus has done enables us to be forgiven and clean. And the Holy Spirit is declaring that in the world all the time. He says he's proving the world wrong about righteousness. Righteousness is what every religion is after. If only we could be kind of right. If only it could be okay. It's only possible, says Jesus, because I'm going to the Father by the cross, the resurrection, and the coronation. All of what Jesus has done is going to enable us to be made righteous with God. And there's no other way. Nothing else will cut it. And the Holy Spirit is speaking that out into the world all the time. Including through what we say and do and how we live and share. 
about judgment. It's saying to the world, the Holy Spirit is saying to the world, he's a he, not an it. He's saying to the world, world, world system, your judgment is wrong. You got it completely wrong. The world thought that Jesus was a criminal. They thought Jesus was useless. They thought they'd get rid of Jesus. We thought that that was the end of him. Pilate boasted, I've got power over you. But Jesus says, that's the way (laughs) Satan's grip on everything has been broken. And the final countdown, as it were, starts. A final countdown to everything, to Satan's final defeat. And the world being renewed starts as Jesus dies on the cross and snaps the power. World, you got it wrong completely. (laughs) And the Holy Spirit is saying that all the time. You see, the world's way is empty. Our way is condemned. It's not to say that we're as bad as we could possibly be. But just on these key issues, the Holy Spirit is saying, we're wrong. Jesus is right. The world's way is empty. It's condemned. It's useless. And even the best we can do leaves us with this week and Oxfam. The best we can do. And it's shot through with all this stuff. And that mustn't judge Oxfam. We know in our own hearts. Jesus said, if you think about stuff, you might as well have done it. He, the Holy Spirit shows us we're in the wrong. The Holy Spirit is making people aware of this all the time. And as we live as witnesses, the Holy Spirit does his work. It's the only way anyone can become a Christian, actually. It's the only way we'll ever admit that we're in the wrong and repent. It's because the Holy Spirit helps us to see it. So it is tough in the world, but the Spirit helps us. People have no excuses and shut their eyes to Jesus' works and Jesus' words, their ears to his words, but still the advocate prompts, still he convicts, still he helps us to live as witnesses and to say something because he is at work. Think about the Apostle Paul. I won't read the references because I don't have time. But he gave his testimony. He told his Christian story um, in the book of Acts to other people. And the third time he does it is in chapter 26. And he's telling someone called King Agrippa the story of how he became a Christian. And he recalls in his account to King Agrippa in Acts 26, he says that when Jesus spoke to him, he said an interesting uh, phrase. He says to the Apostle Paul, or or Saul of Tarsus as he was, he says, "Um, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. It's a kind of reference to, to, to how uh, uh, oxen um, plowed. And, and the, the, the idea is that even as the Apostle Paul, as he became Saul of Tarsus, is there in the dust, just seeing Jesus for, you know, just at the point, you know, where he's been struggling. The, the idea is that there was something was prodding him before. And Jesus says, stop kicking against what's prodding you. See me for who I am. The Holy Spirit was at work. And as we witness, maybe it's good for us to be aware of what the Spirit might be doing 
in others. You know, people, all kinds of people have religious experiences. If you've got a close friend, you're talking about faith, why not ask him? Have you ever had any experiences, spiritual experiences? You might be surprised what they say. That's why try praying is so good, because lots of people pray or they, they want to. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is at work. Have you ever heard that expression? Someone, I, was, I was sitting in a jacuzzi uh, at the swimming pool the other day, and someone like, I don't know very well, but he knows I'm a minister. And he, he kind of said, um, I'm not religious, but, you know, and, you know, and the but at the end, you know, God's doing something. Let's be aware of that. Or if you're not yet a believer yourself, have you been aware of those little prods from the Holy Spirit just for some reason wanting you or you want to find out more well don't ignore those respond to them it's the way to life so how do we live in this hostile world the holy spirit is the helper at work in the world but finally look at verses 12 to 15 of chapter 16 the holy spirit is the helper in us okay let's look at verse 12 i have much more to say to you more than you can now bear but when he the spirit of truth comes he will guide you into all the truth he will not speak on his own he will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come he will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you all that belongs to the father is mine that is why i said the spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you here jesus is saying the holy spirit is not just working in the world and helping in that way he's working in you in us he is the helper in us now some of what he says applies particularly to those 11 who were in the room at the time jesus told them in, in, earlier on in the briefing he said to them look uh, you'll remember what i said to you the holy spirit will bring these things to mind and here he promises these 11 uh, that the holy spirit will lead them into all truth and he says he will show them what's to come And again, what's to come, yes, it might refer to what John gives us in the book of Revelation. But more likely, in this context, what's to come? The journey, the cross, the resurrection, and the ascension. That's what's to come. And all of what's to come in Jesus' experience, and all that Jesus does for us, is unpacked by the apostles. And we have it in the New Testament. And we're reading the fulfillment of it now, in fact. And later the Holy Spirit enables Luke and Paul and Peter and John and James and others to make that that known once and for all. But Jesus is saying more than that. He's saying the Holy Spirit is just like me, says Jesus. The Holy Spirit hears from Jesus and speaks that into people's lives. Just as Jesus said, he, he speaks the Father's words. Remember Jesus once said, I only do what I see the Father doing. Here it's saying that the Holy Spirit is like that too. Like with Jesus, he says and he does what kind of Jesus does. Jesus and the Spirit and the Father as we think. This is community within the Godhead, this community of love. But there's another way it works. It's personal too, to all of us who love Jesus. The Holy Spirit, it says here, makes things known. Did you see that? Verse 14. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. And it's repeated at the end of verse 15. 
he will make known to you. What does he make known to us? All about Jesus. He makes it known. Jesus' love for us, his promises for us, his presence in us, the presence of the Father with us. And there's much more, as you'll see in John chapter 17. Somehow all of that is made known to us. God is revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. And that's how we can live in this hostile world. We have this helper, this advocate, this counselor, this friend who is a support worker, making all that Jesus has done, all that he is, real to me, to you, deep in us. We feel that. We don't know, just know about him. We can know him. Not just about him. But to know him. That's what Jesus is promising. I must stop, but can I just read some verses in Philippians chapter 3? Especially since it was referred to in that song. No previous collusion on the song. Chapter 3, verse 7, 11880, if you want to follow it. This is the Apostle Paul talking about his experience. Actually, his experience of things being tough on occasions and this perspective he has. He says, whatever, gains were, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. Paul bears the loss because knowing Jesus like this in his life, knowing God in him is so much better than everything he's lost. That's how he lives with the pain of a hostile world. And if you go on to look at verse 10, the thing is it goes right through his Christian life. Verse 10 he says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his suffering. How do you live in a hostile world? What happens when they start beating you up? Paul is saying, I'm participating with Jesus. Somehow he's with me in this suffering. That's how I know it. I know him in that. And verse 12, he says, I've not already obtained all this. I've all have already arrived at my goal, but I press on. So we sang, press on to take hold of that for which Christ has taken hold of me. Now, as I close, do you know that? Have you got any idea what Jesus is talking about in these verses and what Paul means in Philippians 3? Is the Holy Spirit perhaps pulling you that way even now? Ask God to fill you with the Holy Spirit. Admit to God that you're empty. Let him deal with what's wrong. Know the joy of Jesus being made known to you and in you. So that you just don't know about him, but you know him. See, we need that. Because there's no other way to live for Jesus in this world. And when we start to see the Spirit working... When we begin to, then we begin to see him testifying as we testify. And we stand with Jesus even if we're hated like he was. 
And we can do that not just because we know about him, but because we know him. We really know him and we want more of that. I pray that God may just help us to to know the Holy Spirit bringing these things into our hearts as we respond to him and live in our part of the world, whether it's hugely hostile or just a bit difficult on occasions. May we know him in the midst of it all. Peter, I'll hand back to you.